Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 125. Up until April Fool's Day 2021, the Miami Dolphins were the only team in the NFL to not have a single player on their roster that was age 30 or older. That changed when they signed six foot six, 330 pound uh, defensive lineman, what was his name? John Jenkins, who is only age 31. That is a ridiculously young roster. Do you know who else has ridiculously young rosters? college basketball teams i think we have a little bit of news in iowa state basketball uh correct me if i'm wrong but kyle mike take it away yeah so i mean to be fair these kids are all between the ages usually between the ages of 18 and 22 whereas nfl players are between the ages of 20 and if you're tom brady like 180 um so (laughs) you're still under the age of 30 though right yes Point still significantly younger than the average age of rosters in the NFL. I get where you're going. <laughs> it, it was, it, it works. The math checks out. Uh, you know what? The math also checks out. Iowa State is getting more uh, scholarship athletes on their roster for next season. Uh, last week, early in the week, uh, the Cyclones got a picked up another commitment from another post player. Uh, So uh, TJ is trying to fill a physicality void that this this, uh, Cyclones roster was starting to lack a little bit of recently. So as of now, on this roster set up for next year, there will be four players on the team, at least 6'10", between, or either... I mean, they usually bump the height up a little bit because they're in basketball shoes, so they measure, you know, just not standing on their bare feet. But 6'10 and up, obviously a focus for this team is going to be rebounding, which Iowa State has been absolutely atrocious in uh, for at least the past three or four seasons. Um, it, it's something that they don't do well. TJ is stressing physicality, uh, and he's definitely got some post players that will help with this. Uh, and... With Robert Jones coming in at Denver, uh, he when he was playing with them, they he's not necessarily he's going to a improved team record wise, uh, which doesn't seem like it should be the case when Iowa State only won two basketball games last season. Well, at Denver they only won one game, uh, so he is already on a better roster. Uh, he did average 9.1 points per game as well as five rebounds. He did shoot uh, nearly 54% from the floor as a sophomore for the Denver Pioneers. Uh, so high efficiency buckets, very, very close to the rim, uh, should be getting most of those points in the paint. Uh, but one thing to note with him is he was able – he. He spotted a defensive rebounding rate of 24% last season. So Iowa State's top defensive rebounder was George Condit. Uh, he averaged 19% rebounding rate for the team, which is not great. It pales in comparison to what most teams in the NFL, what their best players average is. So 
it should be a little bit more of a physical front court uh, for this team going forward uh, with at or Jazz Kunich as well as uh, Robert Jones. So we'll we'll see the front court's definitely taking shape with the returns of Condit and Foster. Foster is officially out of his boot and starting shooting drills. He is not uh, performing many basketball activities outside of just shooting right now and a little bit of strength training, but he continue his rehab and he should be good to go barring setbacks for the start of next. With some consistency, uh, Mike, do you want to lay out uh, the consistency that Iowa State is trying to maintain with athletic directors? Yeah. So as all of our listeners are well aware of, Jamie Pollard is the best athletic director or one of the best athletic directors in the nation. And that's not a biased opinion. He's won multiple national awards over the last few years for um, how good he is. Iowa state um, yesterday announced that they extended his contract um, for another two years. It will keep him around now for the next six years. Um, He will be the athletic director Um, It comes with no increase in compensation, so it's just a straight extension. Nothing changes with his salary or anything like that. Um, Keeping stability at the top of this athletic department, Jamie Pollard is the fourth longest tenured athletic director in the Power Five conferences right now, just behind Oklahoma, Kentucky, and Ohio State. So Iowa State has had some good... um, good stability at the top of the athletic department and it's starting to pay off on the field, especially the football field. So I like Jamie Pollard. It's good to have him around. Good to keep him around. So good extension there by Iowa. And I definitely think stability is something that uh, programs are going to need a lot more of right now, especially trying to come out of the financial hardships that we're seeing uh, with this past entire long uh, athletic season so stability at the helm is always a great thing. And we'll see, we'll see how this uh, hire works out in men's basketball, but he's been instrumental in keeping people around like Coach Fenley and now Matt Campbell uh, bringing our football program back to. So good to see Jamie Pollard continue his run. Uh, so we're talking about extending contracts. Well, the NFL this week did uh, extend the season by one game. It was unanimous, almost unanimously voted upon uh, by the owners. 31 out of those 32 teams did uh, vote to extend the season by one game. So the 17-game schedule is approved. All of the details uh, that we outlined of who teams will be playing, uh, that was uh, correct in uh, in the analysis that we provided last week so if you missed that episode please go back and listen to it if you're curious on how those games were scheduled uh one interesting note that i have started to see out of this is there might not be a need for the conferences to flip like between the afc and the nfc every other year uh, home and away locations because the NFL is looking to move every team to play one, at least one international game uh, in a season. So that that international game would take the uh, take away that extra home game that a team would get in a season. So as the NFL is trying to make more of a national push, uh, 
But the one team that did not like having an extra game in the season, that was the Chicago Bears. They can't get quarterbacks right. They can't agree with what the rest of the league is doing. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, how the Bears continue to handle things going forward. But for now, there is a 17-game season next season and only three preseason games, which I think a lot of the players are happy about. I know a lot of the players were looking to have zero preseason games because they are essentially meaningless. Look at the 2020 season. Players were ready to go a game or week one. Maybe they weren't into the swing of things yet, but it didn't really matter at the end of the season. Uh, a lot of those players don't, don't like those meaningless preseason games. Uh, someone who might need some preseason games to get acclimated with his new team. Sam Darnold uh, was traded today, Monday, April 4th, uh, to the... Today's Monday, April 5th, Kyle. Or April 5th, sorry. April 4th was a Sunday, which would have been yesterday, but today is a Monday, and that means it's the 5th. See, the math checks out. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no problem. Happy to help. It, it, it is true that Sam Darnold was traded to the Panthers. That That yeah. is indeed factual. Yeah. Uh, the, the Jets definitely seem to be set on drafting a quarterback now. I don't see why you wouldn't at this point, uh, especially since your next quarterbacks on your roster are not going to be any more hopeful uh, than Sam Darnold might have been uh, for your team. So, the details of that uh, deal were the uh, Carolina Panthers in return trade a sixth round pick in this upcoming draft, the 2021 draft. And they also give away a second and a fourth round pick in the next year's draft. So in 2020. Uh, so the Jets continue to stock up on their draft capital as they're looking to rebuild their entire roster, which will be good. Uh, hopefully they can try and surround that quarterback with a decent supporting cast, which everyone is presuming to be Zach Wilson. Folks, don't get too overhyped about a singular pro day. Quarterbacks have had great pro days in the past, and they use, and some of those quarterbacks don't pan out. Uh, yeah, don't overreact to pro days. My goodness, pro days in the combine. Stop overreacting. Don't overreact to things. People need it, to stop overreacting. It, Don't overreact to the NCAA tournament. Don't overreact to combines. Don't overreact to pro days. It's, it is ridiculous. I mean, go back. Just, just edify yourself. Go back and look at every single quarterback taken in the first round of each draft. Or of each draft, like, from 2010. Give yourself 11 years of data. How many of those quarterbacks are still with their original teams? It, there aren't many. The The draft with the most quarterbacks still with their original team is the 2017 draft uh, where Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are still with their original teams. But the first quarterback taken in that draft, Mitch Trubisky is not with the bears anymore. <laughs> RIP. Uh, and it usually doesn't end well when teams have to trade up for quarterbacks too. So we'll see what that situation looks like for the San Francisco 49ers, depending on who they pick. Uh, but don't overreact to pro days. They're meaningless. Quarterbacks are just out there thrown to the receivers that they have been for the past three years. It, and there's no actual, there's no athletes on the defensive end of the defensive side of the football to simulate an actual football game. So unless, you have to look at you're coming off injury. There's nothing you could show me in gym shorts that I can't find on the film this year. The only time a pro day is valuable is if somebody's coming off an injury and you got to see if they're healthy. Otherwise so, watch the film. 
And 40-yard dashes don't mean anything for quarterbacks unless you're Lamar Jackson. So don't overreact to Justin Fields running in the four, the high four fives as a quarterback. It doesn't, doesn't matter as a quarterback. If you're mobile, you can change the game. But Lamar Jackson is the only quarterback that you worry about 40-yard dash speed because he is that fast. So don't overreact. NFL draft will be coming up here soon. We'll cover any larger details that come of it. Uh, but as of right now, the Carolina Panthers seem set with Darnold possibly being the backup to Bridgewater, uh, but Bridgewater could be uh, the source of a trade as the season. So look for more NFL news down the pipeline. But what we have all been excited here about at the 8311 cast is MLB baseball opening day was this past weekend and boy, was it glorious. Mike, I'll just I'll just let you take the reins on this one. I I've been having a blast this past weekend. I have also enjoyed having baseball back. I mean, it's great to play baseball, but as has been the theme of this episode, don't overreact to anything you've seen this first weekend. Well, hold up. I don't know if it was a theme yet, but we are making it a theme now. Don't overreact. Okay. Here's why. Baseball. See, they play 162 games, right? So in this opening weekend, your team has played about three, four games, which means if we're going to use like an NFL equivalent, we're not even at halftime of week one of an NFL game. You cannot make, nobody would make any judgments about an NFL team at half, or nobody should make any judgments about an NFL team at halftime of week one. I'd say we're not even out of the first quarter. I mean, statistically, we are because 160 yeah. divided by 16 is 10 right yeah yeah i guess yeah. so but i mean you're not making you're not overreacting after just the first quarter either which is more of what this feels like so yeah. nope. don't, don't overreact react. as much as you want to drink the kool-aid or hit the panic button you can't do that yet don't hit the you should not even know where the panic button is right now like it should be in your sock drawer, buried wherever you put it at the end of the season. Don't go looking for it. It doesn't matter. you got to wait until at least mid-May to start looking for that panic button. So even if you're the White Sox and you started one and three and looked bad, or maybe you're the Royals who beat up on the Texas Rangers and now you're super happy, don't hit the panic button. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. We're not even at the first card at the end of at halftime of week one here. That being said, it is great to have baseball back and do enjoy the games, right? Do enjoy the games. Don't rush to conclusions, but enjoy the games and have fun. Fans are back too, which makes games even more exciting on broadcast. You can hear the fan reactions to bad umpire calls. You get the booze raining in. You get the booze raining in with the Astros coming to the plate because – that will continue on until, I mean, people are never going to get that. I don't know how many years that's going to go for, but it it's it, it's great to have baseball back. Texas, uh, the Rangers today had 40,000 fans in attendance on Monday, April 5th uh, for their first home game of the season. So we're getting back there, folks. Baseball, baseball's back. Fans are back in the stadiums. It should be a fun season. Miguel Cabrera hit a hit the first home run of the season in a snowstorm. I mean, it wasn't Welcome much of a snowstorm. It was just flurries, but it was snowing in Detroit for opening day, and Miggy hit a home run that they could barely see. So, yep. 
And we've already had our first bench clearing brawl of the year um, between Cincinnati and uh, St. Louis. Um, apparently, uh, Castellanos um, objected to being hit by a pitch. So when he scored later in the game, he decided to yell in the pitcher's face. I don't recommend doing that. That will get you punched. Nobody actually punched him. But more often than not, yelling in the face of the opposing pitcher will get you punched. It did clear the benches, and there were some ejections. So bench clearing brawls are back. I know MLB tried to limit them this year, and it's probably going to say they're trying to limit them, at least at the start of this year. But they're back. They're going to happen. So if you're a bench clearing brawl fan like I am, sometimes you need a good bench clear. Uh, they're back. So other than I don't that, know. I don't know if you've noticed much of a difference in regards to the baseballs. And the, we talked previously about how the the MLB was deadening the baseball slightly. Uh, and I, I had alluded to some pitchers able to notice a slight difference, but it I don't know if this rings true to you or not. It doesn't seem like teams are hitting nearly as many home runs to start the season, but it's also cold. It's not as hot and humid as it used to which is when the baseball flies more. Yeah, it'll take some more data. I'm sure the physicists, the independent physicists who have caught baseball changes in the previous years will come out with some analysis here in the next couple of weeks and we can talk about it then. But yeah, there could be differences in the baseball. I don't know. I don't know yet. We will see. Any, anything I would have right now is anecdotal evidence and that's not useful in this discussion. So, but overall... I don't have much more to add because I'm not overreacting. So yes, a win in April matters just as much as a win in September, but you can't overreact to one game in either of them. You can be upset, but you can't panic or overreact. There's a difference. You can be upset when your twin team blows a three-run lead in the ninth inning of opening day at Twins, but you can't panic and you can't overreact. You can, be upset. you can be upset when your opening day starter at Royals gives up five runs in the first inning, and then that all of a sudden turns into jubilation as your team proceeds to score five runs in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, it, would, it was fun to see an offensive showing in the Royals-Rangers series, but I cannot expect that going forward as the Rangers are probably going to have one of the worst team ERAs in the majors this yeah, when Kyle Gibson is your opening day starter, your pitching staff probably isn't that good. No disrespect to Kyle Gibson. He's a fine starting pitcher. He's not an opening day starter. I, he has a career ERA, I believe, sub four when I looked it up. So he's statistically not a terrible uh, starter, but he is a back-end starter, as he was for many, many years uh, with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, career ERA of four six one. So above four, sorry. But his 2021 ERA is 135. Yeah, he, so that's I, he, not good. the high score wins, right? That's what we're going for here. But keep an eye on baseball here this next week. Um, we'll keep filling you in on anything interesting that happens. But again, wait like three more weeks. Then we can start making judgment about teams. Wait three more weeks, okay? Um, yeah, three more weeks. Then you can start making judgment. But since we can be disappointed, we can also be excited about some things. And as always, I am going to be excited about our weekly turtle tab this week, where we fill you in on all things Willens Astadio related. So as we reported last week in our weekly turtle tab, Willens Astadio made the opening day roster for the Twins. 
He made one appearance in the Twins opening day series in Milwaukee, a pinch hitting appearance, and did not record a hit. Um, so he was 0 for 1 there. Um, in Monday's game against Detroit, he replaced um, Luis Arise in the third inning because um, he was having gastrointestinal issues. Luis Arise was not lot of that. That's two twins now have been out who have had to leave games early. They got a little bit of a stomach bug going around the clubhouse. Not COVID, though, which is good. Um, so he came in to play third base, replaced Luis Arise, and he ended up going three for four with two doubles and two RBIs in that game. Um, he hit the ball hard in all four of his at-bats. One of them just happened to be caught on a really nice play by the Detroit left fielder, um, Robbie Grossman. Um, Willens Astadio made some Twins history today as well. He was the 11th player in Twins history to have at least three hits in a game in which he did not start. So 11th time in Twins history that's happened, and now La Tortuga is one of them. So for those doing math, that means his um, batting average on the year is uh, currently sitting at 750. Um, no, sorry, 600, three for five. He went three for four today and was 0 for one in Milwaukee. So he's sitting 600 on the year with two doubles and two RBIs. So good for him. I'll keep you informed um, on future episodes, of course, as we continue a weekly our weekly turtle tab. Go Tortuga. In Mike Stupid Rules, as we have talked about, um, we are going to start shifting over to more baseball rules here as um, baseball season kicks off. So we've got a trivia question, Mike Stupid Rules segment for you two today. Um, last, uh, in last week's little trivia in our intro, I started with Kyle. So Wyatt, you're going to get to start. There are three ways a pitcher can get credited for a save in Major League Baseball. Can you name one of them? Uh, pitch at least three innings of the game. Do I need to do all three? No, I was just asking for one, but you're not quite right there. Really? I thought that was if one. If pitcher pitches three innings, he will not get a save. Well, no, but a relief pitcher has to pitch at least three innings, don't he? You, you, you're close to one. You're getting at one of them, but you're still not quite there. A relief pitcher who pitches the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings will not get a save. So, um, if they enter the game with what a lead of no more than four, no more than three, three runs or something, and pitches at least an inning, is that the criteria? Yes, that is one. That is a different criteria than the one you were getting at before. Yeah, I yes. gave up on the other one. Yes, that is one criteria for a save. Enter a game with a three-run or less lead, and pitch at least one inning, holding that lead. Kyle, can you name another one? Uh, so it's, I think this one's similar, but it's when you come, when a relief pitcher comes into the game, they don't have to pitch a full inning in order to record the save, but they have to inherit, uh, at least base runners in scoring position and record the final out to get the save. And that's usually within, I think that's if it's more than three, like if it's three or or like if they have a four run lead, but runners in scoring position, you can also get a save that way. You're getting at one of them, but no, that is not quite right. Do you want to, I gave Wyatt a chance to an addendum. Do you want an addendum to, to that one here? No, because right, well, what I thought it was. We'll pass it back to Wyatt. Can you name one of the two remaining ways the pitcher can record a save? Yeah, let me go back to my original one and let me, yep. 
let me just add more to it maybe and that might help my case if a relief yeah. comes in in the fifth inning and you're still winning and he pitches those three innings preserving the lead the whole time is that a save like pitches the fifth sixth and seventh uh, uh, uh seventh eighth ninth sorry that's what i mean at least three right so it comes in the fifth and, and all the way through that would still count as a save yes come in with a lead pitch at least three innings and finish the game with the lead. That is a save. Yes, that's correct. I had, and I was like, that's a save. I don't know what you're talking about. You just missed the part where they had to come in with the lead and finish the game. Yeah. I missed the important part. Yes. The the parts where they actually save the game. (laughs) Kyle, you want one more shot at that one you were trying to come up with before? I'm not going to get the one that I was getting at. I think you need Something similar, Kyle. Don't they have to come in with a lead and have the – or maybe not with lead, with a tying run on bases? I think you, they'd also be on deck, can't they? Or or batting. Yes. And, yeah. Got it. So they can also come into a game with the tying run on base at the plate or in the on-deck circle. Got it. And then if they finish out the game, regardless of how many innings they pitched, it is a save. So you're on the right track there, Kyle. You named a scenario where, where you would get a would save. A save. Yeah. That, yes, you did name a save scenario, but it was not, it was too specific to actually count. So yes, there are those three ways to get a save. Most people would recognize those first two, right? It's or I guess the 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 one the first one why it got, and then that last one. The second one you got there, right? The three inning one is the one people usually forget about. And that's how you get instances like what happened in the Twins game on Monday where Andy Dobnik can come in and pitch three innings and give up five earned runs um, and still get a save because, you know, he came in and the Twins, you know, ended up winning the game like 16 to six or something. So he pitched three innings and got the save despite not being particularly effective. So there you go. Those are the three ways to get a save in Major League Baseball. Now you are educated. Mike, I just thought of this, but can we do like a mini addition to this segment of something that happened this week? I'm referencing the Cody Bellinger home run, the RBI home run that turned into an RBI single. So, and I want to lay this out because it would be completely irrelevant next week because it would already be two weeks old at that point. So in the game against the Colorado Rockies, Cody Bellinger was at the plate. Justin Turner was on first base. Uh, Cody Bellinger hits a towering shot to left, and it ends up leaving the ballpark. But the left fielder got or had the ball in his glove. It bounced out, or it rolled out of his glove over the fence for a home run. But Justin Turner, who was rounding second base, thought the outfielder caught it. So Justin Turner turns around, retags second, and runs past Cody Bellinger to first base. Now, Cody Bellinger is between first and second base. So the hitter or the, the lead runner and the, the, the runner after them can never cross. Otherwise, it is the 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 secondary runner is then out they can never cross on the base path so in this case cody bellinger ends up hitting a home run but in the stat sheet it goes down as an rbi single 
They said that Justin Turner should have been able to go all the way around, but Cody Bellinger was out because the runners crossed on the base path. It was a, it was an entirely wacky, wonky play. John Boy Media has a video out about it on YouTube, shouting out our boy John Boy Media, who we all love here at the 8311 cast. Uh, go watch go watch his YouTube breakdown of it. It's pretty good. Yeah, that, that sounds like a correct interpretation of, of the rules there. That that is the correct call by those umpires. Good job. That's like a, that's something you only see in Little League. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> It's added by the fact that the home run bounced off the guy's glove, right? Yeah. You have the, the home run bouncing off the field and the base running error all in one. It's like a perfect storm right there. And Cody Bellinger was standing there yelling at Justin Turner, no, home run, home run. And Justin Turner had no idea what was happening because he was just trying to make it back to first base so he would the ball back to Fernal. There you have it, folks. Strange but true things that happen in and do you know what else is strange and not true? All of our, our predictions, predictions that, that we make. make. Yeah, exactly. All of the predictions that we make and the write that down predictions. Like, well, maybe not all of them. Some of them do come true. But, you know, a lot of our predictions end up not coming true. So here in our write that down prediction segment, where we hold each other accountable in our accountability session, we have four predictions that came off the board this week. Um, I made a prediction um, back over the winter that the baseball season would start on time. It did um, on Thursday with the extent of one series, the Mets and Nationals was canceled due to COVID um, with the Nationals. But for the most part, the season went on without a hitch. So for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. Josh predicted that no one seeds would make the final four. We ended up having two one seeds in the final four, Baylor and Gonzaga. And they will play for the national championship um, here on Monday night. So for that, Josh gets a nah. And because that championship involves Gonzaga versus Baylor, we know that Kyle's prediction that Gonzaga does not make the national championship game is wrong. So nah. 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 And my prediction that Gonzaga would play Houston in the national championship game is also wrong. So nah. Nah. That is it for our accountability session. Kyle, do you want to start getting a prediction up on the board? Yeah, so my prediction is that newly acquired uh, Carlos Santana for the Kansas City Royals will draw more than 100 walks in the 2021 MLB season. So for uh, you two to reference, uh, Carlos Santana in his career uh, he has eclipsed the 100 walk in a season mark four times, uh, doing that in 2014 and 15 with the Cleveland Indians, as well as 2018 and 2019 uh, with the Phillies and Indians, respectively. He has hit, he has gotten close on a few occasions with 99 and 93 walks in his other years, but his 162 game average over his career is near that 100. Yep, and he led the American League in walks last year as well, and with fifty-seven and or forty-seven, sorry. In the um, let's see what he already has four going into the day um for this year. I don't know if he walked it all today. Uh, let me look real quick. I I believe he did. He grounded out three times, and then I think he lined out sharply. Well, he's looking right. What do you think Uh, that would be? No walks. So he has four on the season. So basically that he's going to get at least 96 more walks in the last 158 games. 
I don't know what to give this one. Double? I'm I, thinking double. Everything I don't know is usually a double, so. I, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with double. a double. I would have argued against a single, but I, I will be fine with a double. I, I would agree that's not single worthy. Yeah, double's fine. I think. Especially since he could get hurt. So. Right. That's the only, that's, that would have been my main arguing point. <laughs> against the same okay well for my prediction the twins started two and one against the brewers so i'm going to predict that this season they will go above 500 against the nl central i just i'm just curious for my edification how many games do they play against the nl central this season do you know 15 to 20 i don't know the exact number off the top of my head the nl central i feel like is really up in the air plus you got bad teams such as well the reds are probably going to be bad as well as the pirates uh Yep. The Brewers are the best shot in the NL Central this season, and the Twins already bested them in a three-game series. Double. I think the Twins are by far the better team compared to any NL Central team. And if you are the better team, if you're a good team in baseball, you are at least a 500 team. It is 20 games against the NL Central. I just counted on it. I think it's a double unless Mike is going to argue for it. Nope, I'm fine with that. Sounds good to me. All right, double it is. Wyatt, what do you got? With uh, the Cubs playing the Brewers starting tonight in the first series against them this year. That's a weird way to say that. I'm going to say the Cubs will sweep the Brewers at least once this season. And I think we're playing uh, rough numbers. I was going through the schedule, about six series uh, playing the Brewers. Yeah, that would be pretty typical for division rivals would be six series. Um, Boy, I don't know, double? Probably. I like it. Wind out, pick a double. I like your logic there, Wyatt. What I do. Do I have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep. Still alive. Still doing good. He's got a prediction now the baseball season's underway. He's also making a prediction about this upcoming Brewers-Cubs series. He's predicting that Yelich will hit at least two home runs this season. So far in 2021, he does he not, not have a single home He does have a very ringing double off Max Kepler. Well, that was, I guess, just a single off Max Kepler's glove. Uh, I don't know. This seems like more than a double, though. I, I I think so. I think so, too. I don't – I mean, obviously, we don't have enough data yet, but he does seem to be struggling more at the plate, similar to the struggles that he saw last year in 2020 as opposed to his breakout campaigns in 2018 and 19, uh, where he – I mean, he started off the season on a tear of home runs. He had 44 home runs in 20. Uh, I think we should give him a triple for it. However, I think, it's, I think it's triple. I don't think it's quite a home run just because he is a power hitter. I would agree. Yeah, with I'm that. I think something silly is going to happen. He's going to hit like four home runs or something. He might hit eight. He yeah. might. He might be like that Chicago White Sox player who started the season eight for eight. Yeah. It could happen. It could, but it's unlikely. You're right. That's why we'll give it a triple. So with three doubles and a triple, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 125 of the Eater Love Cast. Be sure to drop us a line on our contact page at eatherlovecast.fireside.fm slash contact. And of course, slide in to our DMs on Instagram at eatherlovecast. Signing off for the Eater Love Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.